Thanks, as always, for listening. In this episode, Chris and I are going to talk over some ideas about how to get people interested in and willing to play 2 Die 20 games, and also how to introduce the system, regardless of the setting, the core of the system to people in a way that doesn't overwhelm them, but also shows them all the great options it provides. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. Well, great. Here we are again, and today we're going to talk about how do you get your friends, or anybody, to play a two die 20 game for the first time. That is, how do you pry them away from the 800 pound gorilla in the room? And how do you then beyond that, how do you introduce the system to them, regardless of which setting you're running? How's your gaming been over this last week? I can't talk about what I've done for gaming in the last week now. You what? <laughs> because I'm playing the enemy. Because last week me and me and Brian actually played. We played a well, we did play a standard session, but we played a session of, of, of fifth edition. But we played it with no GM. So, and when it comes to like, if I want a game with lots of random tables, D and D's pretty good for random tables and uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, we knocked up some characters. I used some oracles from Iron Sworn and some uh, <laughs> not like that. Okay, I just thought uh, that was maybe one of those those. Uh... Those humorous differences in in how we understand the English language, but please no, go on. Right. Yes, it does have that does have two meanings. Uh, yeah, we 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 made up some characters then, and we we just literally had all we had was two characters, and we we played a session. We uh, used an oracle from Iron Swan to give us some ideas, and we used uh, the thing for playing without a GM in, in Twilight Two Thousand. Uh, the the card flipping thing. We used that for all our yes nos for things. Um, cool. And we used a lot of random tables from like the Dungeon Master's Guide, and or it might have been Zanathar's, uh, one of the books. Uh, and we played a we played a pretty standard D and D session, so that was uh, fun. And then I carried on my Tales from the Loop game on Thursday, so I think it's sort of like a four part story, and we're two parts through now, so that was good as well. Excellent. How, Excellent. how about you? You know, I actually I want to come back to this DMless D and D. Let's pen that into our minds as something to come back to you because that's interesting. I had a good uh, game session this last Saturday. We we had all, all four people back together. We were down one player the week before, uh, and we are still working our way through Operation Vanguard, uh, which was one of the Octum Cthulhu adventures from Modiphius. They, uh, they, they tried to sneak into the lighthouse compound. They got noticed by, by a patrol, a giant fight. Uh, ensued with lots of destruction and uh, I saw and this is one of the wonderful things about talents and like NPC talent like special abilities in Modiphius the the NPC the L Lieutenant Frick who is in charge of the uh, the lighthouse compound there in that adventure as a Nachtwulfa scout he has the ability to call in fire in other words, call in indirect fire, like heavy fires from like artillery or something like that. And I thought, wait a minute, the S-boat has a 37 millimeter autocannon. That's pretty heavy. I mean, it's not like artillery heavy, but it's, you know, enough to enough to make your give you a bad day. So as the tide was turning against the Nachtwulfa troops at the lighthouse compound, I decided that Lieutenant Frick would activate his his uh, his forward observation indirect fires. Um, uh, talent and 
had the S boat come by and just hammer the whole compound <laughs> and uh, blow holes and things and and whatnot. And then he escaped. He was the only one to survive. So now the party has been captured by the regular German army troops in the area as they were trying to get into town. And the con artist from the group, and this is really cool. I'm super happy with this because she's doing a terrific job. Our con artist has not had, in all the sessions we've played, I realize this, uh, a great spotlight. Right. Because the, the adventures have been kind of like, you know, pooping and snooping and sneaking around and stuff like that type stories. And now she's trying to convince the local German army commander, who's not really hip on the Nachtwolfe anyway, that she is a German military intelligence agent. <laughs> and they were there checking into the traitorous activities of the Nachtwolfe and that she needs to be let go so they can go finish their job. And you don't need to know because you're not cleared. So it's really it's really cool how how that's working out. So we ended it with a cliffhanger of her being interrogated and the other members of the party stuffed in a basement under guard. It was good. Good stuff. Yeah. Let's get to the meat of this. Um, the, 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 the eternal challenge for those of us who like this system, enticing other people to play it. What, what are some ideas? And I think the, the bulk of this episode we should spend on on introducing the mechanic, because I, I do have some ideas that I'd like to, to bounce off you for how to do that, regardless of which title you're playing. But, you know, I mean, is it like a, an American 1980s public service announcement, like don't do drugs commercial? You're like, hey, kid, first time's free. Don't be a square. You know, come yeah. play two die 20, man. Don't be a square and just play D&D. &D. Yeah, I think to me, there's a combination of, I mean, one of the things would be easy. If if you have players that want to play one of the licensed properties, at the end of the day, with the exception of Action Cthulhu, um, which I always think is a property that sells itself, but all of the other ones are licensed properties. So if you have players that want to play, and there's a, you know, it's a long list now. We are, in Mutant Chronicles is pretty niche, but th they started with that for a reason. It was an old property. We've got Infinity, Conan, John Carter of Mars, you know, Star Trek, massive. I mean, that's clearly their biggest seller. That is a huge property. Yeah. And they keep making stuff for that, whereas they're not really for anything else. Um, you know, Dishonored which, and Fallout, which are slightly more niche gaming properties. Um, and then obviously June recently, and then Homeworld's another game property. So but June, again, is a big, that's a big property. So if you've got players that want to play one of those, that's that's the easy thing straight out of the way. Um, would be. I think that's that a one. that's a good point. I and it's stupid, you know. This this is why we have conversations with people who are interested in and informed about things. Because actually, I hadn't thought about that. Like, what's the easiest way that you sell someone? Like, do you like Star Trek? Do you like Conan? Boom! I got a game for that. Yeah. I have I have um, I've tried to sell it to people or get people interested in it from the standpoint of, would you like a system? Would you like to try a system that gives more um, like quantifiable or concrete player agency yes. yeah i mean any any gm can give their players more agency by just letting the play by just saying yes or yeah. yes and or yes however or whatever like that when players say can i swing from the chandelier and like you know strike a match with my right foot and you know light the baron on fire as i swing by and you go okay or roll or something like that anybody can do that but this these are all systems that uh that provide a, a mechanic for doing those kinds of things, for giving the players way more of a, of a quantifiable narrative share, in, which sounds strange, in the game at the table. So I, I like, I've known players who they really get into 
you know, being creative beyond just I hit it or I, I, I pick the lock or something like that. And so those are people that I've pointed this at and said, hey, here's, here's a series of games that actually do a graceful job of providing um, like a, a rules structure that sits under that. That doesn't sound as attractive of you, as yours, though. I mean, that, like I said, that's, that's one way. If, if you've got people that have got no idea about, do you want to come and play Star, you know, saying, do you want to come and play a Star Trek game? Oh, yeah. You know, like I've got, I know a guy who really likes the Infinity World because he plays the war game. So getting him into play the Infinity role playing game, he's shown an interest in that because he likes Infinity. Again, if you knew someone that was really into Conan, getting people in through their interests is an easy way. In some ways, that's an easier pitch. You know, do you want to come play D&D or watch D&D? Uh, it's like Lord of the Rings. Because that's always, if you've got someone who has no concept of fantasy, pretty much their only touchstone would be Lord of the Rings. Maybe uh, maybe Game of Thrones, which is even a worse example of D&D, or, or more recently, The Witcher, which again, all of these are not, they're all really bad examples of D&D. Not, not one of those is a good example of what D&D is, because, I mean, the best example now would be the new the Critical Role right. cartoon because it's based on a D&D thing. But how many people will have, you know, maybe people will have watched it loads. Um, but actually, D&D, you know, I was found as a hard pitch. Nowadays, you know, the problem you have is kind of the opposite. Thing. When you say, do you want to come and play such and such a game? Well, what's that? Oh, it's like D&D, exactly. which is a downside. But, but being able to say, do you want to come and play a Star Trek game? Or, you know, if you've got people that like Star Trek, that would get them into it. Um, but beyond that, if it was like, you know, when I pitched my guys, it was more, okay, so I've got this new system, okay? And nowadays when I'm, going to play a 2d20 game it is you know i want to play such and such okay oh it's another 2d20 one they're like all right cool we really like 2d20 partly because what you said is it's the player agency most games don't some do but you know there's a couple of games where uh there's a push mechanic maybe so all of the all of the free league stuff seems to have something like you fail a role there's a way to yep. push and there's a downside if you do that the cypher system had it i hate that system but it, to be fair to it it did have a push. If you want to, if there was a role that was very important, you could take damage on a stat to make it easier to yeah. succeed. That's what 2D20 lets you do. It, it gives you it gives you that massive ability to write, well, this role is really important. I want to make sure, not make sure, but I want to have a better chance of doing that. Um, D&D rules as written does not let you do, do that. But obviously there's loads of house rules. I mean, you can use hero points like Eberron introduced. Um, I basically wholesale just threw extra dice into my, session last week which we then promptly forgot to use because we weren't playing 2d20 um but yeah that that the player agency is a big deal uh, the other thing i really like about it is that if you're not going to play any combat at all this is irrelevant because some people don't some people just role play you know and the combat hardly ever comes up but when i when we role play it's not massively removed from almost playing a board game in some ways it's very we play very gamey like my players aren't big at acting out their characters. We don't have, you know, with it, partly probably because there's only two people. Maybe when you've got more, when you've got bigger groups of players, you're more likely to have a lot more dialogue going on. But when you've only got two players, there's a lot less, you know, this is one person's idea, this is the other person, like we get to it, which means we end up getting to combat a yeah. lot more. And in most games, you kind of already said it, most games is one person go, I attack, you roll to hit, you roll some damage, or you don't roll any damage. The other person goes, I roll to attack, or they, you know, they do their spell, whatever. They do it and it's done, gone. The thing we've really enjoyed about 2D20 is that there's more to it than that. Okay, you roll and then you get the, you know, you you've got you generate a momentum. What do you want to do now? Okay, you've hit the guy. Do you want to save this momentum to make it easier for your next guy? Do you want to do more damage to the person? Do you want to disarm them? You have all these options, which maybe other games are you've got to choose to do that ahead of time. 
And usually in most games, when you want to do a called shot or you want to disarm or you want to knock someone prone, almost always it's a, a, a penalty to what you're going to do, which makes it more likely you fail. So you never end up doing that. Or, or it's something that like in, uh, you know, third edition D&D and, and Pathfinder first edition, that was something that you had in most cases, you had to have a special ability, you had to have a feat for. And so there were certain kinds of things that the idea of, of um, like yeah. tripping someone was something that only certain characters could do. I mean, I, I get it. You know, people say, well, you know, and I, I've heard this, not, not this complaint so much as people say, well, you know, you can spend momentum on all these different things. Doesn't that make like everybody the same? Well, no, because you also have this structure of talents and other things that, that go with it. And the amount of momentum that's available at any given point in time and the variables that are around what's going on in that moment in an encounter are going to be different. And so whether someone chooses to spend two points to disarm uh, an opponent is it maybe it's on the table if there's enough points for it, but whether they're going to do it or not is a yeah. is a different issue. Yeah, I'll go there. So, like I say, so yes, yeah, essentially, two D twenty is one of the few games where combat is actually fun. In most games, combat's meant to be fun, but in a lot of role playing games, combat ends up being a chore, and which is why you end up with people who avoid combat altogether because they find combat is the worst part of the system. Now, I like combat because I like action scenes in films and I like that. And, you know, when I play a role playing game, I kind of want it to replicate. It's like we said lots of times, the cinematic feel. Most other role playing games do not have cinematic combat. I'm sure there's people that say 2D20 isn't. But because you have these ways of making sure you're not making sure, because you have these ways of improving the odds for in your favor. But then there's a downside to that. And because then there's all this cool stuff you can do if you achieve well, it makes combat more interesting. Arguably, it's a bit metagamey. You know, it kind of it, it can kind of take you out that you happen to spend points before you roll and then spend the points after you roll and then think about how you do it. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot more player agency. It is not. You roll to hit. You get a hit roll. The DM just says what happens. And if you wanted to do something cool, you had to say it beforehand, which probably means you didn't do the cool thing and your character did nothing, which is all, so many role playing. I want to do a cool shot. That's minus five to hit. Oh, I missed. Oh, well, then you do nothing. Right. Which just sucks. Yeah, I think, I think too, that uh, the, the fact that the game, the core mechanic enables you to succeed and generate complications. Yeah. The fact that the core mechanic enables you to succeed and generate uh, multi-use surplus success. All of those things. One of the things I just thought of when you're talking about cinematic I think maybe one of the qualifier or descriptors of that is that like, especially in, in combat or in an action scene, there can be a lot going on. I mean, maybe you could argue in a lot of movies nowadays, there's too much going on, <laughs> but I mean, there's, that there, there's a lot going on. Like, you know, you, you attack and you damage the, the, your opponent, but you also knock him over and, you know, you, you, you turn off the light so that, the enemies who are running in the room can't see anything. So you can escape. There's like a lot going on and momentum potentially, if you have enough of it, or if you want to buy threat enables you to, uh, to do those kinds of multi-activity, multifaceted uh, things that, um, that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get in a, in a, in a typical system. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of player agency. That's the key thing. A lot of player agency, um, that the system enables. And I think that's a, to me, that's a big selling yeah, point. Totally. 
if you're talking to novice gamers, you say, hey, do you want to play a game where you really get to tell, you really get to describe what's going on, and you can take whatever creative idea and express that through the rules rather than like, here are the rules, and the rules are your options. Or you, you talk to a more veteran gamer, and obviously you use different language, but explaining that you know you have lots of player options that are that are more concretely described through the rules, but aren't limiting. Um, they're open ended rather than closed. Yeah. And it's not you know it, it it's narrative in a sense. Like I said, you can using the new assistance where you can use truths and stuff. You can make narrative things happen, but it's more about there is an actual mechanical thing which goes along with narrative. So we're not talking narrative in a, in a fate or cortex style where you're. Right. Um, I want to do this cool trip thing. Okay, roll. Okay, now you apply an aspect or you apply a complication to the enemy that says Super they've got gamer. the trip thing on it, where actually it doesn't matter whether they were tripped or disarmed or blinded or anything else. It's all a minus two on them. And actually you could just, then you just become, all right, well, I, I put a complication on them. Which one? I don't know. So, you know, th th those games, okay, you know, they, they deal with things in a particular way. This one actually has more of a mechanical heft to it. The mechanics have a narrative that run alongside it, um, which is what I like about it. It isn't just, oh, it's all in your head and make it up as you go along. Then it, it's all that's also linked into the player agency and, and having options and more to do. Now, arguably, that is very gamey. And I imagine if you run it with big parties, um, then, yeah, it's probably not going to be the quickest. But unlike D &D, no game is yeah, where you have D and D with these giant you know hit point sponges that can take you know two hundred hit points of damage, nothing nothing lasts very quickly in two D twenty. You can kill things quick if you really want to. So how about let's talk about how do you introduce the system? And I think that we can talk about this outside. Like we, we're not tied to one one title. Um, that's how I'd like to to approach it, um, because I think there's something there. Obviously, there's a core mechanic that sits at the foundation of all of these systems. And I have found that to be uh, a challenge at times to explain to people. And then all that player agency that makes the system so great is also potentially a stumbling block depending on how you explain it or deploy it. Yeah, I mean, this is the one where I think I'm going to be coming on to you, Mob, because there is a, a, there's two reasons, but there's the main reason I have not tried to play 2D20 with Mika and Annie, but with, you know, Annie is now 10, um, is because player agency, they struggle with anyway, even just with a standard, they can hit, you know, what do you do? I don't know, I shoot them. The minute they would suddenly have to decide, do they want extra dice? And how do they pay for those extra dice? Um, I haven't even tried right. it with them because I just, when I've played right. games that do have that, so for example, I have played things like uh, like Savage Worlds and Cortex where you do have, you know, similar, but not the same, but where you do have the ability to spend some kind of currency to improve your odds. They just yeah. don't spend it. It's easier when you have the systems where if you fail, that's that in, in that kind of, that's where it is. Oh, I failed my role. So now I am going to spend a point to make my role right. better. Those are, you know, you failed the role, you know, when it becomes ahead of it, um, I, that, that's when I think, but to be fair, I haven't really tried with the other reason is actually other than Star Trek, 
And Star Trek isn't exactly, you know, Mika gets Star Trek loads. We watch Discovery and Lower Decks and Picard and everything else. But Annie hasn't watched Star Trek since the last film came out. So <laughs> it had sabotage on the, oh. on the film soundtrack. It was instantly an amazing oh, that film. It was so bad. It, 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 yeah, oh. it was not a Star Trek film. It was Fast and oh, the Furious. Oh, yeah, yeah, but it was. In Star it, Trek. I'm pretty sure it was one All of the right, same director. Not, um, I really enjoyed it, but it was not, not a Star uh, Let's Trek not go film. down that, that icky rabbit hole. Um, but because of that, I've got, you know, and every time I mention Conan to Mika, she starts singing some Conan the Adventurer song because apparently in the 90s, Conan was a kid's cartoon. Yeah. Which I'm like, what? <laughs> was it? That doesn't seem quite fitting. No. So um, I think because of that, I haven't really, I'm still waiting for them to release a very sort of a more my family friendly 2d20 and go right i was hoping june was going to be that but yeah none of the games really jump out as me things to send to them and at some point that'll change either because star trek becomes super big again and i've got a ton of star trek or um you know or you uh, convert something for me so, so i don't have to i could have run ghostbusters with them i suppose when i am trying to when i am presenting this system to people who have a decent amount like i'll call them proficient gamers you know, they've played yeah. enough of a system, any system, any game, that they understand the the the, the kind of ebb and flow of, of RPG rules. You know, characters have some kind of quantified measurements of how tough, smart, knowledgeable, whatever, special they are. There is, uh, obviously, you know, there's a mechanic for deterrent. Like, how do we figure out uh, pass-fail, things like that? I had to figure out things like initiative and yeah, all that, all that kind all of stuff. That, like yeah, the standards. Yeah, if you've played, I mean, any more than a couple of sessions of any game, you you get it. And so there's a framework that you can use to to help people understand. So the the way that I have settled on describing this to people is I don't describe the actual the nuts and bolts of the core mechanic first. Mm. The first thing I try to do. If I'm smart and I remember is, hey, two die 20 is a system wherein your your the most basic role determines success or failure, but also enables you to I think how do I how do I put this? The yeah, the, the base role obviously determines success or failure, but it also enables you to bank surplus success that can be quantified and then you have all kinds of options what you want to do with that surplus success in the moment yeah. or over time and something else that makes it special is that surplus success can be shared with others in the party and then i go on to describe the core mechanic it's two die 20 you're rolling at or below a target number the target number is is um is determined by adding a stat and a a skill, Depends. you know, for lack of a yeah. better word. And when you roll those 20s, you're not adding them together. You're trying to roll at or beneath that target number that you determine from the stat and the skill. Um, and you're, you're trying to roll a certain number of successes that I will tell you that you need to roll. Uh, I think that that's where I've had the most ease, is describing, like giving the descriptive side of the system instead of the like the recipe, you know, the actual do this, then do this, then do this. I explain what the core mechanic, what the core mechanic enables you to do, what it does, and then explaining 
okay, it's a difficulty two and you rolled three successes. What do you do with that extra success? Then they've already got a, yeah. a, like a, a shelf in their mind where they go, okay, there's this thing called surplus success. Now, the most complicating thing that I have found is giving players a sense of what they can do with momentum. Because I think this is actually where if you show them the core mechanic, like say, okay, here's a notional combat example. You know, you've got Bob the Mighty fighting off a goblin, and this is what happens. You can just show them that. That's easy. I think the biggest, like the pain point, the point where you can go off the rails and lose people, especially when you're at the table trying to play, is once you give them the momentum options, if you don't give them enough, or you give them like some just you say, OK, let's just use momentum. And I've seen people do this. let's just use momentum for extra damage and buying extra dice. Then it leaves out all the narrative yeah. side of thing. On the other hand, if you give them the full list, you're going to bury them. And then this, the, the action at the table is going to grind to a halt. Yeah, and I think mostly we tend to go with I, 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 obviously we kind of go. But when we started, we only had beta rolls. There are only a couple of things. But I think I'd mostly always start with like, right, let's start. The main reason for momentum is extra dice. If you want to have a better chance of doing well, you spend momentum before you roll the dice to buy extra dice. That's, that's what you use momentum for. You're increasing that's, the, it, that's, that's comparable to advantage in yeah. 5e. You are just trying to increase the likelihood of being successful. Yeah, and most people Simple. can see that. When you explain something, right, you are going to roll two dice, and for every dice that is equal to or under your target number, and the target numbers are normally on the sheets. It's very... And that's part of the reason I actually prefer, like, you know, the Infinity and Conans, um, where it was very clearly written on your sheet, yeah. the target number. That was one of the things I hated about John Carter and Mars, where it was like you had to add two different things. You could either write them all out, right. or you had to add them on the fly. Infinity makes it very straightforward, right? This is the, you know, actually, uh, yeah, no. So any of the ones where you have a fixed skill rather than it can move around made it super easy, right? You, the, your target number is that. You roll two dice, you get under that. Everyone can understand that. And if you can have one, two, or three more dice, you have a better chance of getting that. that anyone can understand. That's nice and easy. Um, and I mostly start with that. And that, right. Now, if you if outside of combat, mostly it's just that. It'll be a case of, right, if you're picking a lock, um, then rolling more successes. The idea of success, again, that tends to be easy now. Okay, if you've only ever played D&D, &D, but there's enough other games where, right, if, if every every one that comes up is a success more successes are better and you know again the difficulty so you know if you if you difficulty is one you need one success difficulty two two successes that's i've never had people simple. you know that's that's simple um the idea you know oh if you get more successes than you need well if you're picking a lock you might pick it quick if you are trying to find information you will get to ask extra questions that was a perfect example of the one of the ones that the books do really well right for every success you will gain one piece of information from the person you're asking okay so straight away then they can see that momentum as well as being a currency is a thing that on the fly will give you more and then you can look at combat kind of separately in terms of right here's that yeah, what i've done what i've done work because i've run um octan cthulhu conan and star trek adventures several times at my local game store and at the local game convention that we've had in the past. So I've had a lot of experience with experienced gamers who are completely new to the system. And what I do with momentum is I'll, I have, I'll make file cards 
and I'll and this is how I see them, you know, in, in my mind, I'll have momentum list A, like the beginner list, and then I have like the B sides. Yeah. Uh, for those of us who remember records, the B sides. And the A list is buying more dice. And I'll put the costs because I mean they're different in different games. Yeah. I'll put the, the 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 price tag for the each extra die. Um, so buying extra dice, and then I'll put more damage. Um, typically, I'll put like disarm, knockdown, uh, and depending on the system, depending on the system, there are some that allow you to spend a momentum to reroll damage dice. There are some that don't, and so I'll add that. I will usually have only three or four um, on-the-spot momentum spends yeah. for combat. And that'll be like, and I'll, and I'll give people the card, and like, there's the list. And it's just the, the okay, you, you hit, you do more damage. Like, that's so intuitive. But here's some cool other options that you can do. That's all I put on that basic card. Yeah. The B-Sides card, it's create a, a truth, so if someone feels, you know, inclined yeah. and creative like that, and depending on the system, again, I'll add maybe two or three others. And yeah, there are lots of different momentum spends, but that's, I will give them a total of maybe like seven, six or seven total split into these two groups. And I usually won't even give out, I in the past, I haven't even given out that B-Sides card initially. Or if I've got someone at the table that maybe I know or just seems to be picking it up yeah. faster, I'll put it out there. But I'll suggest, listen, here's the most basic stuff. Maybe the first time we do combat, just use those. And then I'll throw this other layer in. I just, you know, feed it out to them slowly so that, so that the example is there, the utility is there, the opportunity to use it is there, but they're not overwhelmed by too many options. Yeah, I think the... the Obviously, doing extra damage is the straightforward. The ones I always really like, it tend to be the ones that come up more. Like, unless it tends to be the default, right? I'm going to put all of mine into extra damage unless there was an effect I needed. The other ones I tend to really like is the is the where you can hit a second person. So whether right. that's the one where it's like there's you again, it varies on system, but some of them have sort of a secondary target where you do the damage you just did, but half of that to another person. That's usually really useful. Because there's not many games yeah. that let you hit to, and then there's the you know the second action, which again in some games is you have to spend another thing. But that second action thing is so useful to be able to go right. Well, oh wow, you did, you rolled really well. You can go again, really, because not many you know in D and D like going again is like that's built into your leveling up. You only get to right. go again when you get to whatever level. In most games, if you want to have two actions, you have to take a massive penalty. You know this is very much why you rolled really well. You can have a second attack if you want to. Um, and again, it's always the, if you want to, and it's, it's that kind of thing, it's always worth saying, actually, you do not need to spend your momentum. If it was a fluke roll and it was kind of, it wasn't important, you can leave that momentum for the next guy that they can use it. They can spend it and go crazy instead. You know, if you've just set up your really combat heavy guy and they're really going to go to town, then you don't have to spend it. Cause that's always another option. You just like, well, you, you know, you, you don't have to spend it. Save it. Yeah. What I do is, is I will, you know, like I said, everyone gets that A list, the really simple stuff. And then I'm paying attention at the table for if there's someone, if there's a player who seems to be just getting it, then they'll get the B list list sooner. Yeah. I'll hand that to them. I will also make suggestions like you just said. Um, hey, do you want to go again? There's a bunch of extra momentum. Uh, and I'm very hands on with reminding them of, all right, so you generated four momentum. Hey, that's really great. Take a look at your list. You've got some options. Now, you don't have to spend them, but remember that the party can only have six, and I have this big, like, three, four inches on a side foam die 
die six that I use for momentum. So it's sitting there in the middle of the table or right in front of me. And, and so it's, it's easy to tell how much is, is there. I will coach them through that and remind them because it's, you know, they just, they're not going to remember. The other thing that I have found uh, is a real, is a big sticking point is the rolling of the challenge dice. And, and, and not only, it's not so much the idea that one is one, two is two, three and four is nothing, five and six is one, but it's the plus an effect. I think one, that's when where, I got, that's where, especially when oh, go I ahead. got the proper dice, it stopped being an issue. So sure. when you were using normal D6s, which I had to initially, obviously, I only had beta rolls and no proper dice, it was, it was all proper. One was one, two was two damage, three and four were nothing, five. Well, for a start, it varied because initially in Infinity and Mutant Chronicles, there was only one effect and that didn't do damage. And then Conan changed it to there's two effects and now yeah. they do damage. Um, and again, that was problematic when we switched from Infinity to Conan to realizing, oh, actually now effects are effective damage and there's two of them. Right, okay. But I think once you've kind of played with it a bit, it's the kind of, you know, someone you just... The, the stats, the thing says how many combat are right. You get six combat, roll them. Okay, well, just count up your dots. Okay, now each of those funny symbols, that's a point of damage. And now it will also do something else. And you've got, again, you've got a list. You can give them all the things, but most weapons only have one, maybe two qualities. And so, right. again, that's the kind of things where, Perfect. yeah, they, they only need... They only need to have those things, you know, those things written down. You know, on their character sheet, it will say that their weapon does vicious, and and that's about it probably. So then, actually, it's not too difficult. Here's, I don't think for that. Yeah, I I agree with the with you about the the funky dice. I'm not a big dice person. I don't spend lots of money. I don't spend money on dice really. However, what I would do if you are playing this with people for the first time, I would make sure that you have a set of the dice. We don't get kickbacks from Modiphius, unfortunately, but I would buy some. And it doesn't matter. Look, I have a set of Star Trek dice. I mean, I have five 20s and I have like, I don't know, like 10 sixes or eight sixes or something like that. I have a bunch. Uh, and I use those for all the games. I don't, I don't feel compelled to use Octung Cthulhu dice for Octung Cthulhu. But I would have a set of at least, you don't necessarily need the 20s, but I would have a set of the sixes, of the challenge dice. And what I would do initially is I would have everyone use those dice. And I would, for the first, like, say, combat encounter, until it's clear everybody's got it down, I would adjudicate the dice together. Yeah. So that everybody jointly is under, they get to understand, like, oh, that's nothing. Because now, I mean, my players, none of my other players, well, one of my four players has Modiphius dice. He has a set of Star Trek dice and then some. None of the other three do, but they all understand it, so they, they don't, it, it's not an issue. The So actually counting the numbers, I think if you do it out of one physical dice pool, everyone uses that, and it's yeah. rolled in the middle of the table, and everyone gets to look at it. And it's kind of exciting, I think, like, yeah. oh, you did this, or you did that much damage, whatever. The The challenging piece, the next step to it then is effects. And I think it's really essential when you, um, we, I didn't mention this at the beginning, um, but what's really essential is when you make or choose to use character sheets for brand new players, they have to be highly descriptive character sheets, which means that you might not end up using the character sheet that Modiphius has yeah. depending on the game because like Octone Cthulhu, 
the the attributes and the the skills aren't they're not together. So you ha- it's silly. You have to do the little bit of math in your head, and people could get confused and look in the wrong place. Yeah, Conan Infinity. They they they. It's all baked into the the character sheet. The other thing that's essential is that you have to have and maybe use a sticky note or use a file card, but you've got to be clear on what weapon effects and qualities are in play in your adventure and have those written on again file cards look everybody oh you, your weapon is vicious here it just adds plus one damage oh yours is um uh intense well it does an extra wound if you do a wound i, I i'm a big fan of initially having those little file cards that you can and have multiple copies of each so you can just hand to people not to bury them in things but just so that someone could have something they can look at and read and like, okay, that's what that is. The other thing too is if you're using a published adventure, you're making up your own, I would actually streamline the variety of weapon effects and qualities. You might even want to trim some out. Like if someone, if some, if, if some character NPC or otherwise has a weapon that has like a bunch of weird effects that are a little bit complicated, like persistent, you might just want to yeah. draw a line through that for the sake of an introductory adventure. Yeah, I mean, normally you don't see much there. I, I tend to always print, every time I switch to a new 2D20 game, I'll, I'll print like the reference sheet. So I'll just print a page from the book or I'll make my own. I mean, like mm. when I played Fallout last year, I literally, because we were playing it online, I went through and took every useful table and just put those on a PowerPoint so we yep. could all very yep. quickly just flick backwards and forwards and find the, the information we want quickly. Yeah, I, mean, I, I definitely... Playing with normal D6s is, is very difficult. But one thing I did, so when, when they came out, after I'd been playing Infinity a bit and realized I was going to play it a bit more, I found on their website, I managed to get loads of the, the Mutant Chronicle style dice. Now, these are only useful for Mutant Chronicles in Infinity. They don't work for anything else. But I bought tons of them really cheap. Uh, and I managed to get a lot of Star Trek dice. And when, when I did the, because by then I realized I needed the dice, I didn't do it with Conan. But when John, uh, when John Carter came out, I ordered sets of each of the dice. But another thing I did do, right, when we were playing Conan, and again, there was no dice for Conan, but we had like you know, some adventures. I just bought blank dice. So you can very easily go on somewhere like Amazon and just buy blank, blank dice. So I just bought a bunch of, you know, blank, white, and orange and whatever dice. You mean like dice sharp- sixes? Yeah. Huh. I just bought, a, just got a Sharpie and just marked one splot. Two, I, I got Scott to do it. Just sat there one evening for half an hour. Yeah, just put like, you know, one splot, two splot, and try to do two. I mean, it could be anything. It doesn't matter what the effects are. You just put a big E. He was trying to draw, you know, like we're trying to draw little, uh, I think like little eagles or whatever it's meant to be on them. Um, something went weird at that point with the pens I used. So I think however I kept them or how I stored them, something went weird. And then the, the thing, the stuff smudged off. But if okay. you, you know, so you might have to consider that. But yeah, essentially, just you can buy blank dice. You know, I bought just a ton of blank dice for They are dirt cheap. Um, and just drawing them with, you know, if I'd use a sharpie, it probably would have been okay. Sorry, advertising the sharpie. Um, clear pens I used weren't as prominent as I was hoping they were going to be. That, um, but yeah, that, you know, that's a, a much cheaper solution, but it's so useful for people to have their own um, yeah. to actually, you know, make up your own dice that way. Yeah, I found like when I've, when I've run, when I've run the games at my, my gaming store i've used this is when i have used the one set of dice um and and i found that one combat encounter maybe like two rounds in one combat encounter 
and everybody understands it because everybody's watching and they're getting the, publicly you're reaffirming how the system works each time somebody rolls and it does slow it yeah. down a little bit but then the like this is where like the the meta gaming side of the momentum system can be great can be really great because it involves discussion between players of how how they're going to use momentum and how maybe the next person up or two people later could use that same momentum if it's banked and i think everyone likes to plan you know it always yeah. seems like the one of the most fun parts of a of a of a game session is when and i think player or gm is when the players have an opportunity to plan plan an attack plan a heist plan whatever you know scheme and they come up with all these great ideas and then and then you know they they see how it all plays out in in the story when you you know pick up again as gm that's a lot of fun and you get a little bit of that when there's that cross table that that cross talk at the table about like oh you could do this or you could do that and and because of the shared resource that momentum is having those discussions is it's it's not intrusive like you know that one player who won't shut up because here's the player who wants to play everyone's character and so they're uh -huh. telling everyone well you should do this and you should do that but there's actually there's no mechanical like foot in the door to have that that conversation or be a part of that so yeah like i said i i think adjudicating the die rolls jointly um is good but yeah actually that's a great way to get around um expensive dice i will admit with dice with the sale that modifius just had i bought the three sets of john carter dice because they were yeah, only four dollars a pop i mean but, i already have i already have all of them but i still bought some more because they were stupidly cheap. oh yeah they were like yeah like i say it was four four us dollars for for a set so i bought I each of like, the three sets so i'll mistake? use those in the future you know just for funsies um again i think like i said with with weapon effects and weapon qualities streamline those and be prepared to you know to to write those um have those written um and explain to people um another thing that i found where people get early on with system knowledge with it they get bogged down is with extended tasks and i think it's because of the confusion of the idea that it's a stress track and you're doing damage to the stress track where people i've 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 seen confusion from veteran gamers in um, doing rituals in Octoon Cthulhu, in uh, extended repair tasks in Star Trek Adventures. So personally, a first-time adventure for people, I, I leave extended tasks out. That's just a preference thing for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they don't. Idea. I haven't really noticed they cropped up a lot. Mostly, I would just, it's the language of, I've always just talked to them about successes, right? You need to get, we need 10 successes it's probably better and i'm and i'm just going to track it here on this thing and every time you get a success i'm just gonna i'm just gonna mark it off when we get to 10 successes uh we're done and, that, and that's all i've ever done so um i don't know whether i've seen kind of that in another game that's just kind of how like i've always read it i mean in star trek was probably the first time i really saw that um yeah i'm not you know big on those kind of things so i mostly just you know, I haven't played a lot of Infinity. They didn't seem to have that many extended tasks. But where they did, they were usually phrased. I'm sure it was phrased in the books as you need, you know, this many successes before you generate this many complications. So I just tend to run it exactly like that. Um, I was going to say one of the other problematic things that ha you have actually still got two more meta currencies to play with. Yeah. 
because um, we've got threat and then we've got insert name of meta currency determination risks. fortune whatever yeah threat i actually don't think is an issue because the thing to I tell don't. players is, is threat is gm facing it's like essentially the only thing you have to worry about threat is if you want to do a roll and you're, you, you've got your two dice if you want extra dice and there either is not enough or there is no momentum but you want extra dice you can get it but you have to pay threat you know what does the threat do well the threat gives me threat uh which is basically like your version of momentum but i can spend it for a few extra things but the players don't need to worry about yeah. that all they need to know is if they want extra dice and there's no momentum they can get it but it's going to come back on them later um, i think the, i think the key thing with that is easy. is restraint is saying listen i will i have a currency that's exactly like momentum and you can get it i can get it by these different means but you don't have to worry about it. It'll just happen. If you want, yeah. if you're out of momentum and you want to give me some some love and mortgage your future, cool. I'm yeah. happy to do that. Um, um, I definitely think threat should always be visible, though. I know so there'll probably be GMs that disagree and say it should be hidden. There's nothing like we've we've said this many times in other in, in previous podcasts. That big stack of you know I tend to use red or black. Me too. But you know, it's a, you know, but nice big stack of red, particularly because of infinity, it was heat. So you know, red worked. Um, that big stack of red counters sitting there, poker chips, whatever that you can see that it's building up. You know, they can tell that at some point things are going to get are going to get worse. Yep. Um, you know, then it was it's nice and easy to see. The other one, like you said, the determination slash fortune, whatever it's called, that's or the really naffly named infinity points that's a bit more awkward but i think again it depends on how many players have got if they know they've only got say one one's a good number if they've only got one right at some point in the session when you think the thing you're about to do is the most important thing you're going to get one guaranteed probably two guaranteed successes yeah. by spending that point and again it's not high you know what does that dice do? i the one thing i tend to do is i tend to ignore the other things it can do almost always the fortune point becomes when you spend it it will grant it, it's a dice with a one on it I found that too. Players all that I've had sometimes it's that it's almost always that, or it's I'm going to take an extra action and I'm not going to have any kind of a penalty. Yeah. The difficulty's not going to go up. The other and by and incidentally, when introducing people to the system, those are the only two options that I provide yeah. for that. And I introduce it the exact same way you do. When the when the stakes are super high, you have this is like su fortune or whatever you want to do. It's super momentum. That's what yeah. it is. And it does these things. Yeah, because like momentum momentum and threat for extra dice, you can still fail the roll. Sure. When you spend one of these, you're not failing the roll. It is guaranteed successes. Unless the difficulty is crazy high, um, this is guaranteed successes. So when it's like, you know, you have to you have to fix the engine or pick the lock or do that skip. You know, so very rarely would say don't, you know, don't tend to use it in combat. These tend to be the non-combat things that you yeah. really want to succeed on. Um, to be honest, part of the reason I don't go into the other things is that it's different in every flipping system. Yeah, so. yeah. No, and I think that <laughs> so I forget. <laughs> and I and, and and I mean, I'll comment as I'm introducing these things. Hey, listen, I'm not giving you all the options because it's I don't want to bury you. You know, and I've always described the system as it's not complex. However, the learning curve is long, not steep, because there are just a lot of options. So yeah, I I, I just give them those two and end yeah. it at that. I mean. It's like with a lot, you know, like a lot of things. It works in other games, but also, you know, computer games and stuff. You know, the, the, the basics are straightforward, but there is system mastery to be had. You can, 
make properly crazy characters if you want to. Let me ask you this. This is the other major like sticking point or area where people get confused, and that's damage. That is damage damage tracks. The idea of five points is, and I'll just I'll call it an injury. I know it's called different things in different systems, and I get it. But um, but this is a this is a place where people get confused. Veteran gamers, new gamers get confused. How do you explain that? I've got my ideas, but um, I don't how do you make sense of that? Like, sort of sit down. And explain five how points is magic when it comes to the damage system. Yeah, I think mostly I wouldn't. I'd, I'd start off with just like you know, look at your right. You've got you've got thirteen points on this physical health track. Okay, let's just go with the thirteen. Okay, so essentially that that that's like mini hit points, but don't worry about it. That's not too much. But the important thing is you only you, you don't die when that hits zero. You die when you've taken usually five, but it varies from system to system. Well, let's go with the old school infinity. When you take five wounds, and then I just go through the different things, right? You get a wound one of these five ways if you take five damage in one go. Five damage in one go, that's a wound. Um, for a moment, there's only two wounds. And then if you hit zero, then you it went. You know the go that you hit zero that gets your wound. And if you're already sitting on zero and you take more damage, then that's another wound. So like realistically, you should never take more than two wounds in any one like in one go. And in most Either of the systems, that's that's explicit or it's implied. Yeah. That causes confusion. I've seen confusion on the new. I mean, I've seen it in the forums. I've seen confusion on the new Discord uh, server, which is great. Um, and uh, and that's so that's that's an issue, but yeah, I think that's I've described it as listen, you know, you can either wear out, your character can wear out and collapse because of of you know like death by a thousand paper cuts, or fatigue, just like you just get tired over time. It's chronic, and that's what causes you to to collapse. Or we all know this that if you you take a big blow all at once, that's going to hurt you know, all at once. And so, yeah, it's the, it's impressing upon people, the magic of five, five yeah. points is when something, that's when something bad happens to you. And then, yeah, it's five points at once, uh, leftover beyond five points hit zero. You know, that the, the what you just said is, is, uh, yeah. I think it depends what other things you play. So some other games or sort of fate has something similar in that you have kind of, you have your little things you tick off and then you have your big things. Cortex was the same when I played Marvel Heroic, but then actually very few other, lots of games have, you know, Savage Worlds has wounds, but it has nothing below that. You either have wounds or no wounds. There's no, well, so I, I think, like, you know, mostly, like, I'd always explain it as you have stress. And then once you, you know, if you take like, then you have, you know, wounds or injuries, whatever they're called. But I mean, for me, the hard thing, what isn't actually explaining that to the new people it'd be the fact that every time I play another 2D20 game, it's, it's flipping different again. Well, but I can, if I get someone to play another system, like if we go from Star Trek and then we go to Octon Cthulhu, whereas, you know, not whereas, if you take one wound, injury, I don't even remember, I think it's wound in Star Trek because, again, so many different term nouns are used, yeah. I, I, I can't keep track of them. But if you take one, you're taken out. Yeah. In Octon Cthulhu, it's three of some combination. And my explanation to people is, look, it, it's just... It's meant to fit the vibe of yeah. the setting. Well, see, I started with Infinity and Conan, where Conan, you have either two or three stress tracks, but I can't remember, and then five wounds. And then again, but again, those wounds are separate to the different stress tracks. 
Whereas then again, um, Infinity has three different stress tracks with again, three different sets of wounds that you can take. We won't talk about Mutant Chronicles nope. because nope, that's nope, even nope. more And Octum has got one and you can take up to three, you know, injuries. Yeah. So each, each of them are different, but you know, I, I never found it more, okay. You know, it's all more complicated than, uh, the, than say, you know, D and D, but it's not, as, yeah. it's just as on, on path with other games. Um, so it's why I, I always found you explained it and it worked. The only place where I think D and D had a little bit of overlap here is in fourth edition with the bloodied condition that yeah. there was a point below which in your hit points, something would happen before you hit zero. The only way the player is taking damage is by the GM doing it to them, which in which case you're telling the player how much damage they've taken as well. So you can always, right, you've just taken, you're taking six down. How much armor have you got? You got one, All right? Well, you've taken five, right? Well, because you've taken five, you are taking an injury. Um, and then I will tell you what the injury is kind of thing. So, uh, and particularly in Acting Cthulhu, where you actually have to then give them a truth for that. Yeah. Uh, give them a truth with that injury that they're going to have to write down. You know, so it was, again, it was interesting this, this last Saturday night, um, the this lieutenant frick the knockwolf guy at the lighthouse um they they shot him a bunch of times and he took a bunch of stress and they they're like oh my gosh like how you know because they're all three of the four of them are veteran dnd players so of course like every good dnd player you're trying to like meta game like how much damage have i done to this guy when is he going to drop and they said they were you know oh my god like how many how many injuries could this guy take and then one of my other players was like wait has he taken five all at once? And I said, no. Like, okay, we get it. We get it. Like, he's being worn down, but he yeah. hasn't been hit really I hard all at once. One of those things, I mean, going back to why do I like this system, one of the things I like about this system is that it does both. You can wear a bad guy down. You yep. can plink away at them a little bit at a time, and eventually they will run out of stress, and then every time you damage them, they'll take a wound, and then they will be dead, D&D &D yep. style. Um, but you can also go for a massive big hit and do a load of damage in one go, Savage World style. But you can do both of those in the same game. Right. Both of those other systems, I mean, it's the thing, it's the thing I hate. There's loads of stuff I love about Savage Worlds. I absolutely cannot get past the damage system. But the fact, the amount of times you roll, excellent. I hit, I roll for damage, nothing. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. Or you have the crazy roll, you did an insane amount of damage and you one-shot them which they, you know, you can avoid, but both of those are not ideal. Whereas in D and D there is not really a rule. And you know, unless you have to manufacture kind of crazy coup de grace for one shot in a dragon. Okay. I'm fighting this dragon. I want to be, you know, occasionally, you know, I want the player. So I'm going to throw a massive big, not, a, you know, not a youngling, not a baby dragon because it's got low hit. I want to throw a proper black dragon, uh, you know, high lane, you know, yeah. like a really, you know, like a level 15 type thing, at a low level players. And hope one of the players goes, well, I'm going to shoot this thing that's going to drop on the dragon's head, or I'm going to shoot the dragon. Or I've read this book, and the book says the dragon's got this weak point, because actually, otherwise the players go, I rolled a hit. I miss. I rolled a hit. I hit. I do a tiny, I do five damage. Oh, well, he's got 195 to go. You're yeah. going to die before that. Um, it was funny watching the first, uh, spoilers for anyone who hasn't watched it. So if you haven't watched the start of Legend of Vox Machina, this is spoilers for episode two. Um, episode two, they, they, you know, a bunch of, low-level characters they have to be low-level characters they kill a black dragon or is a blue dragon they kill a dragon you know this is a proper big dragon they haven't done any damage to it they do a tiny bit of damage. the guy thinks he's dead it's false because, advertising because it's it's you know they went with a narrative the narrative in the thing was they found a weak point 
and then exploited that weak point and did a ton of damage. Which, you, what you see loads of times in, in other you know things, you make a weak point and exploit a weak point. There is no rule for that in D and D. There isn't kind right. of in this. You know what I what I find interesting about the uh, the you know the, the damage system is it is a little it is more complex. I'm not going to say it's a little more. It is. It's more complicated because it does those two things. And describing yes. that to people, uh, I've actually found like. The few times I played this game with people who are, have like virtually no gaming experience was actually easier. I, and and it, that maybe that's maybe that's just the people that I gained with on a few occasions that hadn't played m- many games before or any. Um, but when people have, if you explain these things like clearly enough and you limit the options enough so that yeah. they don't feel buried, giving this to people with no preconceived notions of the way a game should function per their experience is actually easier than someone who's got 10 or 15, 20 years of gaming experience and, you know, and has a, has a picture in their mind of how things should be, not because it's preferential to them, because that's just what they're used to. But you're right. There's no way to kill Smaug like was killed in The Hobbit <laughs> with a black arrow, unless you make that black arrow like so ridiculously overpowered as a magic item. There's no way to do that. That was it. That the uh, Bard's Black Arrow did. Yeah, uh, 50, yeah it didn't 50, work. Fifty D ten. That's yeah, that's fifty D ten. But yeah, and then you'd end up rolling a bunch of ones, and the dragon wouldn't die. <laughs> You're like, that sucks. This is lame. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, you could, and and that, but that's that's a great place. You know, obviously for spending momentum to make something happen. I'm going to spend a bunch more damage so that I get past the armor yeah. once I have a sense of what's there, or a player is just like. You know, they they recognize in their lizard brain, I am more likely to kill this foe if I do more damage. So they just pour as much momentum as they can into doing damage. You're like, oh, you just did two wounds. I think I I actually think the game and I've said it to lots of people and I've seen lots of other people say it when you see it on forums and discords and reddits and everything else. The game in play plays fine. Loads of people say, I've read it, I bounce off it. You have to play it, which is awkward when if there's no one to show you how to play it and you're going to have to like, someone's going to have to read the rules. They're getting better. We've said this. Um, but the game rules don't always read well, but when you play it, it works in play. Um, like I said, from my point of view, the only reason I haven't, I think the actual generate momentum and spend momentum, once you've got the momentum, it's very easy to use it. The hard bit is sort of when you first start the game, how, how do I generate that initial? When, when should I be using threat? And there's no real good answer to that one. It's more of a kind of an experienced player will have the feeling, I want to get, succeed this role, so I'm going to yeah. take threat. When my players just go, right, I'm just taking five dice in my first couple of rolls, and then you kind of get a momentum train rolling, and then it's you know, it's fine. It's, it's a gut feeling. Because most games where you can push, it's usually you fail. Do you want to push? There's not many games that actually let you push up. It tends to be there's a lot of games with a re-roll mechanic. I failed. I'm going to have a second chance of that. There's a part of me actually, well, this is better. How many times in life do I failed? Oh, I'm going to retroactively play with the dice gods and I'm going to re-roll my last roll. Actually, the idea that I'm going to push, I'm going to put extra effort makes way more sense. And I think if you could get that into play, it's like, right, look, is this important to you? Yes. Then get some extra dice. How do I do that? Here's the two ways of doing it. But that's where I've kind of gone. I'm not going to introduce it to to my two just yet. But like I said, it's also because they're not really into any of the properties at the moment. Let me let me ask you this. So we've got the core mechanic, which, like I said, I, I explained the, the idea behind what it enables you to do before I explained the nuts and bolts of how you actually roll the dice. 
we've got momentum mm -hmm. and how it's generated, how it's spent and what it's spent on. Uh, we've got the other meta currencies. We've got rolling the six side, rolling the challenge dice and adjudicating them, dealing with damage and also weapon effects that, that go along with that. Is there anything else that you found or think would be like, this is probably a sticking point where someone's not going to get it? I think, I think those, are the, those are the 2D20 things. I think yeah. there are system specifics, which even you and me have come up against. I don't want to go into that. No. Um, there are in almost every single, uh, maybe not acting Cthulhu, but in most of them, there is a system specific thing that is harder. Um, sure. Uh, off the top of my head, acting Cthulhu, partly because it's the best written one. And also because it doesn't have that many extra things on top of it. I think that has the least amount of everything. Else. But again, this is a benefit the 2D20 system is that every single time they make sure that the system is fitting the setting. You know, John Carter and Infinity should be different. They are totally different. Right. Um, so that, you know, it's not a feature. It's, it's not a bug. It's a, it's a feature essentially. So, um, but no, I think to go into all of the other potential sort of tripping things would be would that's a whole nother no i don't i don't think it's uh, worth but no, I, think, that. You know, I think that... that's those five things and most games are going to have some kind of thing that people get tripped on particularly like you said you've got that weird thing of is it a player's first game or have they already played a bunch There's, know your audience would be something i would say sure because there's almost Always. as many problems with converting from a player who's played other games to a player who has never played any other games to her player who has played lots of other 2D20 games, which is our trip in play. Yeah. You know, I recommend also, if you're looking at the, um, you know, the quick starts, the, the free quick starts are terrific, whether you're going to run those adventures or not, because in almost all those cases, the uh, pre-generated characters, all the descriptive information you need for the talents is all there yeah and that's essential because you could go to the star trek uh the online character generator or the one for conan i mean those are the two that i've used and you can generate a character and print it out and it's all right there hey that's terrific the problem is the talent descriptions aren't there yeah. and so that i i think that like what i would do if i were in the business of introducing this to more and more people you know and maybe in a couple months i'll run some stuff at my local store again and and i'll do that again but if I were going to introduce this to people new, whether they were new to gaming or, or new to just the system, I would create characters myself. I would, unless I, I liked the pre-gens from, the, uh, from a, a quick start. And I would make sure that all the descriptive information, like about the talents, like maybe printed on the back or something like yeah. that, is all there. And I would make sure that I'm totally familiar with what all those characters yeah. can do. And all their weapons and stuff can do in terms of qualities and effects, which is obviously legwork for the GM. So that when invariably one of the characters is like, or one of the players, I'm sorry, it's, I don't understand this. You say, oh, that's what that means. You could explain it to him because you are familiar. Um, and uh, I'll also make a recommendation. If you're going to run Conan, the the uh, pit of, uh, pit, what is it? The pit of Katalu or Kotaka, whatever it is, that one, the free RPG day scenario. Uh, it's either like Matenga or Mabenga or something like that. The pirate, the picture, he has like a, a little chest on his shoulder and, and a, um, a scimitar. He's terrible in combat. That character is horrible in combat. So if you want to run a combat heavy, 
which is what that adventure is, don't use that as an NPC. It's awful. Uh, every time I've run it, I've I've now yanked it from rotation. <laughs> it's, it's a terrible in character. Yeah, for a quick start advice, we'll say they may have changed it, but when they released it, the acting Cthulhu quick start didn't explain what Salvo was. Right. There was no reference that's a big to issue. it. So it actually it turned out it was a really major rule. It wasn't explained anywhere in the quick start, but they included it on the character. And you know what, too? Also, the oddity, and I think a lot of people, like we, we, had, we had to have this discussion again this last weekend, that each ammo, ammo, point of ammo you have enables you in Octone Cthulhu to have to, to fire a salvo. However, when you are out of ammo points, you're still not out of ammunition. You can keep shooting. Yeah, I was going to say, I think if that's probably why it's not called ammo. Because if, for example, in Infinity, it is called like ammunition or something. Yeah, and again, that's a good example of the differences between the different systems. But that wasn't the focus of today's episode. I think we hit all the points that we wanted to, and hopefully this was uh, was helpful to you. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.